Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about things that have made the scriptures become real in our lives, because we think the more real they are, the more we can draw power out of them, and we need that power in our lives today. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with us today, April Cobb. I don't actually know April super well, but she has uh, started something that I'm a big fan of, and that's uh, an alumni association for uh, people who've been to the Jerusalem Center. Uh, I believe we were uh, there just about a semester apart. I went in winter of 1994 as a student. It's where I met my wife. Uh, And I think you were there just right before that, weren't you, April? Yeah, fall 1993, which is where I met my husband. Oh, so there you go. So who knows? My wife may have taken your room uh, a few weeks later or something. But uh, so we were just weeks, weeks apart from being there together, but not quite together. So anyway, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, April? Well, I um, I live in Utah. I grew up in Southern California and um, whereabouts? I grew up in San Juan Capistrano and back to my grandparents were from San Juan Capistrano and I um, had a great childhood. My family owned a fruit stand and my dad was kind of entrepreneurial Uh, and we had firewood business and Christmas tree lots and all kinds of fun things. It was a fun place to grow up. Um, Something interesting about me where it pertains to the gospel is when I was about 10 years old, my parents stopped going to church. And I think that was probably maybe, maybe it started its Christmas tree season when they couldn't take the time off. And one thing led to another and I um, would get rides to church. And then by the time I was 12 years old, I had a neighbor that I had been babysitting for who also happened to be the young women's second counselor over the beehives. And Hmm. She one day said, you know what, April, we're just going to pick you up every week. So be ready at this time. And so every week I would be ready and I would just go sit with, like, I'd go to church with their family and I would sit with their family in San Clemente was where chapel was. And that went on through into college. Like I just be, was very close to the Gennard family and they were such dear friends to me, but I loved the gospel and I recognized early that, um, I just believed and I just knew that I liked the way that I felt when I was um, doing what was right and when I was around people who were keeping the commandments. And I saw the um, just the side by side, basically, of the difficulties in my own family and um, the seemingly perfect, though nothing was, lives of those who were keeping the commandments and were committed to the gospel. And so I went on to go to BYU, and um, it was such a fun time for me to go through that BYU education and the religion education, and particularly the Jerusalem Center, um, all just fed me. And I it put me on a really strong, sure footing with my testimony and my devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So other than that, I did start the Jerusalem Center Alumni back during the pandemic. It's something that I had been getting these promptings about. And one day, as it was driving me crazy over the course of a couple of years, I knew there was something I was supposed to do that had to do with Jerusalem, but I didn't know what. And then my husband, when I was like, you have to help me figure this out, he had the idea that maybe I was supposed to start an alumni association. And so it's been a busy last couple of years, um, but it's been such a gratifying couple of years as I've gotten to know so many alumni from so many different semesters who share a love of um, not only the gospel, but of the Holy Land. So that's a little bit about me. There are many exciting and wonderful things about me, but um, 
that's me in a nutshell. Oh, well, that's great. And and I mean, you've put together so many videos and uplifting stories and, and so on. Where could people find that? Um, the website is BYUJerusalemAlumni.com. And we have a beautiful website and it does have a lot of videos about people's experiences in the Holy Land and the feelings that they've had. And we put new ones up occasionally and sometimes even in our Facebook or Instagram pages as well. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I've I've watched a lot of videos. I've seen several from my students that uh, have been great because I, I learned about things that were happening. And I, I was very close to them there, but I still say, oh, I didn't even know you were going through that or that that was happening while you were there. And uh, it's great stuff. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. doing that. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely one of the greatest privileges of my life. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. You know, just it's fantastic. And I talk to so many people who will say, you know, I it was like really life-changing for me. Like I, it really, my mission was great, but my Jerusalem experience, it was amazing. Like you have no idea. And I'm like, I do have an idea because almost everybody I talk to feels the same way. You know, we all say, we always say, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to, to gain a testimony or to know that the scriptures are real, but as elder Holland likes to say, it's got to count for something. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree. I so many people would say it's on par with a mission experience in terms of life changing and uh, spiritual impact and the, the way it impacts you for the rest of your life. And I've been in wards where uh, the Sunday school teacher, actually, uh, when we first moved back from Hawaii to Utah, our gospel doctrine teacher was someone who was at Jerusalem the same time my wife and I were. And uh, to see her as a gospel doctrine teacher and what she did because of her experiences was, was just exciting. So it's, uh, I can remember when I was there, president Faust came to visit and he said, you know, we, we put the money into this because we want you after you've been here to go out and make a difference. And I've seen people making a difference and, and that's a great thing. So, well, along those lines, then I think you had a, an experience that you, uh, you and I talked about a little bit, uh, mostly I've read and seen some of the things you've, you've talked about, and I was hoping you could share with us. So why don't you, you take us where you'd like to go? Yeah, I really had this amazing experience back in 2019 that just, I felt like came out of nowhere. I just, it was such a tender experience. And I think that um, it not only gave me insight to my my relationship with my father in heaven but how much he loves each of us and and it had to do with the atonement it was um a time when i was really trying to understand the atonement i had gone to um my study abroad and had had all of these wonderful experiences there and you know didn't doubt the reality of the savior and and especially the scriptures i mean the way that you learn about the old testament um as well as the new testament it's very hard to deny the reality of those books and the that those actual events took place when you're seeing and learning the way that you do over there and you can have that experience even on a tour you know it's oh, yeah. it, it comes to life so um, as I learned more about the Savior and um, and all of his teachings, it, it was the end of my experience in that fall '93. So it was um, that it was the beginning of December of 1993, and I recall going like waking up that morning and having those questions on my mind. It was a Saturday, which is when we celebrate the um, Sabbath. And I went to to church and it was our final testimony meeting. And, you know, several people got up and were bearing their testimonies about um, 
all sorts of things, but, but it did come back to the atonement. A lot of it came back to the atonement. And I remember just sitting there going, why don't I understand this? Not that I didn't believe that the savior had bled and died for us. Not that I didn't um, have faith in it, but I did not understand how that worked. I didn't understand. I, you know, you read about the atonement and how he did this for all of us, but I was struggling to understand like where the guidebook was that said, you know, if a perfect man dies for everybody, then their sins are, their sins can be forgiven and all will be well. I'm like, I I don't understand why that worked, you know? And, and I kept thinking of it in terms of like a man that we love, but still what, what does that have to, we've done some horrible things. We've suffered some horrible pain and agony and grief. How can that, how can he feel that and understand that? And, um, and I was pretty, depressed about it. Like I sat listening to testimonies. I'm like, why does everybody here seem to believe this, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt? Like I've read it. I've read it in the scriptures. I, I believe I will believe, but I don't understand. And so I got kind of so disgusted (laughs) by feeling so inadequate. I got up and left the testimony meeting and went back to my room and I just cried. And I, um, I prayed that Heavenly Father would help me understand. And I remember even looking out my the window of my balcony there and you look out, you know this, but when you look out your any window in the Jerusalem center, you're looking out over the old city and it's not far from Gethsemane. And I remember looking out that window, just being like, you know, Golgotha's over there and Gethsemane's over there. And I am here. And I, I don't think things could be explained to me more clearly. What is wrong with me? And um, I'm not sure how much time I spent. I mean, it might've been 15 or 20 minutes, just like contemplating, praying, trying to understand. And I finally, I'm pretty impatient, I guess. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the meeting because I came to a point in that conversation with my heavenly father, like you have given me so much and my testimony is great. And I am just going to go with this. Like, I am going to recognize that I don't understand. It doesn't make really any sense to me, but I'm going to be okay with it and just have faith because I know that this gospel works and I know that, that I can be with my father in heaven again. And I'll attribute that to Jesus Christ, even though I don't quite understand how that works. And I went that's back. A, that's my- a really powerful perspective. Just uh, sorry to interrupt, but I just, I, I know so many people who want so many issues. I wish that's the approach they would take, right? Okay. I don't understand it mentally. And I don't know why we think we should understand. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't try. We absolutely should try, but if we're dealing with a divine being, there are going to be things we don't understand, right? Um, and yet I know so many people who, though they know it's true and they know the blessings it brings in their lives because they don't understand something that just festers and festers and festers until that's all they can think about and that's all they can concentrate on, as opposed to the approach you took, which I think is really profound. So thank you for sharing that with us, but I, I, I'll let you keep going. So Sorry. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think part of it goes back to the way that I grew up. And I think a lot of people um, they that grow up with pioneer ancestors and my parents were converts, but for me, I didn't grow up through my childhood with like, this is how it is. And we do family home evening and everything's perfect. 
Um, so the light that I received from the gospel was so significant that I was afraid to not have that. Yeah. I was afraid to not. And so if I was going to doubt, I was like, why would I doubt this best thing that's ever happened to me? You know? Yeah. And I think that's where that, that came from. Like I have more fear of not believing than of believing something that's not true, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you knew what it was like to miss it, whereas a lot of people don't. And so as they slowly slide into that, they don't recognize it. But you've seen it on the other side. So you didn't want to go. That's that's a great thing anyway. But, and and I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear to everyone. I don't I'm not saying it's bad to question or uh, to be frustrated that we don't understand. There are plenty of things I don't understand. I'd like to understand. And I spent a lot of time trying to understand them. Uh, I don't think that's the problem. I think it's it's just great to have that perspective. OK, well, I'm not understanding. The thing is, I know what this does for me, and I, I've felt the Spirit tell me it's true. So I'm going to keep going even when I don't understand. And that's where you were. That's a that's a profound place to have arrived at in that conversation with God. And I think I recognize it more now just because we have had those conversations with our kids recently, you know, just as they get more doubts, it's a confusing time. Like in the nineties, it was kind of like, we were just told what to do and we complied, you know, not everybody, but a lot of us just like, well, that's what we're supposed to do. And we did it. And, and now everything's questioned and which is great. Like we should question and we should seek answers. Um, but we do also learn that they don't come necessarily right when we ask for them. And so we need to hold on. And um, that's what I can't, like emphasize enough with my own kids, I feel like we have to be patient and that's where my story leads. So I went back up to the fast, the testimony meeting and I was okay. You know, like I sat through it. I didn't feel horrible anymore. And it was a really wonderful time. Um, that last week in the Holy land, mm -hmm. um, shortly after I went home and I went on, moved on with my life. And that was, um, 20, you know, 25 years had passed, before I went, I went back to the Holy Land in 2018. My husband and I took our family, but we went again in 2019. So we went, waited 25 years basically to go. And then we went right back. But um, we went on a reunion tour um, with several people from our own semester, as well as some that had gone kind of on either end because Brent Top and Jeff Chadwick were leading our yeah. tour. It's been talked about a lot um, among the Jerusalem Center alumni. I don't think we were the first group to ever go back, but it was, but having two professors there with us made it pretty significant. Yeah. And, there were people from my group that went because they were part of that on either side. So I know a lot of students from my group that went there. Yeah, they did. I remember, well, of course I know them well now, but yeah. um, it was just a very meaningful moving trip, but I didn't go, I had just been a year before and I didn't really go there seeking any answers or looking for any kind of a spiritual experience. That wasn't really what I was doing, you know, but, um, I went and just kind of went with, it was excited to be with my old professors, with these great people. And, um, it was toward the end of our 10 or 11 day tour, um, on the Sabbath that morning, we went to Gethsemane and there is a private garden across the way from the more, a touristy garden and we sat under some canopies and brother top spoke to us about the atonement and and it's interesting because i should mention that throughout my life 
like the atonement will come up in sacrament meeting or general conference or in whatever situation. And I will think back on that time in the Jerusalem Center. Like I think back to 1993 and I go, oh, I remember when I asked and I didn't receive an answer, but that's okay. And I move on and I listen to the lesson. You know, it, it had it's not like it escaped me. I I do remember. Um, but never asked again. Never, I wasn't, I was okay. I really was okay. Faith was enough. And um, so that morning we sat in that garden and I was, I remember walking into the garden and that thought came to me. I remember my prayer in 1993, put it in the back of my mind, went and sat to this devotional and I was kind of half paying attention. You know, I was on overload, really tired by the ends of these tours. And I was sitting next to my husband and I was just like watching a bug crawl on his back while Brother Top was talking about the atonement. And, and I remember him saying something about how the atonement, you know, it, it's infinite and, and it, it takes care of everything. And, and, and I was, like I said, not like fully paying attention, but then this moment came where he said that the atonement was so crucial. It was so important that a God had to die for the atonement to save us and to free us from all that we had, all that we had done, all that we had felt, all that we'd suffered. However, he said it, it was a simple statement. A God had to die. And I wasn't like, it wasn't like that statement alone would have really got my attention, but this jolt just came through my body and almost like knocked me on my feet. And I was like, I just felt strongly that like my heavenly father was saying, pay attention. And when he said those words with that wake up call, I was like a God, not a guy, not Jesus, not a man, a God had to die. And suddenly the scriptures were real. Mm. I knew my heavenly father was trying to tell me something and I had, I'm not like this, I'm not the type of person that like angels come by my bedside, you know, but I have noticed a pattern when my heavenly father is trying to communicate with me. And that's that he knows how stubborn I am and that I will doubt. So often I'll have a few coincidences that could not possibly all come together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Had it not been my heavenly father trying to tell me something and those started to unfold after that moment. So I sat as this meeting ended and I was just inside myself going, I can't believe this. Like, I mean, I, I, I believe this because it's been told to me, but this is unreal. Like I understand now, I don't know that I totally understand, but, but that's all I needed to know. And, and I got it. And so as um, we were just getting to the end of this meeting and it hit me like, what is the significance that 25 years after I pled so sincerely to my heavenly father to understand this, that I'm back in the garden that I remember looking out from my window toward for answers. And here I am sitting here with the same professor, many of the same people that were bearing their testimony in that sacrament meeting. And I'm getting this answer. And and I, I remember my husband saying, okay, should we walk over to the church now? And I'm like, um, just give me a minute. Like, just go ahead. I'll catch up with you. 
And I sat and just like wept by this tree because I just cut this olive tree in that garden because I, I recognized that significance. And then I, I kept it inside of, like, I'm telling this story now, but I couldn't imagine telling anybody that experience at that time because it was so specific and sacred to me. And because I knew I would cry my eyes out and it would be embarrassing. <laughs> so I kept it inside. We um, finished up there. And then another interesting thing happened. We got on the bus and we were going up to the Jerusalem Center for Sacrament Meeting. And as we got there, it was, first of all, it's a very, as you know, and many others know, it is a very overwhelming and lovely experience to walk into the Jerusalem center, especially if you haven't been there for a long time, there is a special spirit there. It is such a wonderful place that obviously we've talked about was so fundamental in the testimonies and the experience and the lives of so many people, but there is a clear and distinct difference in that building than there is in uh, the, any other place in the Holy land. And I'd been there a year before and I had felt something, but I also felt it when I came back this time with all of these former students. And as we walked in, we all, it was, there were tears. I mean, it was just a very sweet experience. So we go to the sacrament meeting and quickly find out that it's the final testimony meeting for the spring summer term. Mm. Uh And I was like, and it was not lost on me. Like I was like another interesting coincidence because that was fundamental to my questions to begin with. And then what was so interesting is that I felt like I might be the only one feeling this, but as those students were there and getting up and bearing their testimonies, I looked to my husband, Jay, and I was like, I see us 25 years ago. Like I can't separate it. I'm looking at these kids and I'm seeing us. And he said, I have been having the exact same feeling and all, and what we talked about was I feel for them. Like they have so much excitement and adventure and wonderful things ahead of them, but there will be pain and there will be great sorrows. And some of these kids may not hang in there with the gospel, despite how they feel here today. And that weighed on us. And there was another girl in our group named Christy who got up and bore her testimony. And she said the same thing. Like, I see all of us in you and I'm sorry, but if you're you know, you want to know what life's going to be like in 25 years, you're looking at it, you know, she was really (laughs) funny about it, but, but it was just so evident that there was this connection for us and, um, which made it even more profound that it was this final testimony meeting. And then I kept thinking throughout this testimony meeting, like what I wouldn't do to be able to read my journal from that morning, like my handwritten journal that's back in Utah, wouldn't that be amazing to be able to read that now And as the meeting went on, I remembered that I had been giving a devotional on the bus that week. And there was this final talk that Jeff Chadwick had given to our group um, back in 93. And I thought, oh, I remember this, this talk he gave and I took such good notes. It'd be so great if I could get that. So I texted my daughter back at home and I'm like, can you get my journal 
from this date in December of like December 7th or 5th or whatever it was in 1993. Well, later that day, she was like, I'm sorry, but your journal is so boring. I couldn't even read it to find where that was. So I'm just <laughs> taking pictures and sending you the whole week. Oh, and wow. I remembered that by the end of that meeting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that journal entry would be on my phone. And I pulled it up and I read just the sincere, sad, you know, story of that morning. And then my desire to just move forward and, and be faithful about it. And again, it was another coincidence that couldn't just be a coincidence. Like what were the chances of all of those, you know, how long are we there? 12 weeks, you know, that I had that very week. So by, as we were leaving that testimony meeting, um, I remember just like not being able to talk to anybody. And I went to the bathroom and, and it finally came out and I told Jessica top Brent's daughter, mm -hmm. what had happened. And Who I was, was with me in Jerusalem, actually. Yes, of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, um, cried and told her, and it was just a really significant thing, you know, like I, I just felt what I felt mostly besides recognizing the reality of the atonement and re recognizing that prayers are answered, not in our time, but maybe in a more profound way as a gift from my father in heaven in a time when it would mean even more to me. Not only was that a lesson, but it was that my heavenly father does hear me and that he loves me individually and that he wants me to grow and learn and seek understanding. And he loves everybody else just as much as me. You know, those are the feelings that you get when you have such a profound um, epiphany like that. And so that, that was a very um, life altering. I don't know if it's life altering because I was on the right path, yeah. but it, it was definitely like, um, a shift in the way that I felt and thought about it helps you in every other way. Perhaps later I doubt or don't understand something else. And I say, Oh, but I know that my heavenly father was hearing me and that he gave me an answer to that. And so why would I doubt this? You know? Yeah. Yeah, and you can wait again for when he's going to answer you, and and so on. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a profound story. That's that's wonderful. Maybe uh, if it's all right, it actually reminds me. It, it, it's similar and different, but of of an experience that I uh, had. The kind of the twenty five years later, it wasn't quite twenty five years later, but but similar thing. Uh, somewhat focusing on the same thing, not the exact same question, but but uh, about understanding the. Uh, the atoning power of Christ and the suffering of Christ. And it has to do with the, the church of all nations, which is the church that's there at the, at the garden of Gethsemane. And so just across the street from where you were, it's probably where your husband was going when you, he left the meeting. I left you all alone, I would guess. That's right. So, um, and for those who haven't been there, it's a, a church that it's called the church of all nations because lots of nations uh, donated to, to create this church, to commemorate what happened there. And there's a, uh, uh, a stone inside this church that is traditionally the stone that the savior was, was kneeling on when he suffered. And, and uh, 
when I was there as a student and you'd think I was older than most, I turned 25 while I was there. So I was a little more mature than most, but I guess apparently not um, because I just couldn't like that building. I was just like, it is dark. It's a dark feeling. I don't know why the Catholics don't get what the spirit's really like because it's full of light and, and peace and it uplifts you. And it's just dark and heavy on that church. And I don't, I don't like it. So I, I would go there when other people wanted to go there. So I was there lots of times, but I, I never liked it. And I'd just sit in there and think, uh, silly people here who don't know what they're doing. Just kind of had an attitude about me, I guess. Um, and, and didn't like that church. And, um, I like the, uh, a couple of other places better. And, and some of it did have to do with, it was closer to what I was used to culturally in my worship practices. Right. Um, and I had a lot of great experiences about uh, the atoning sacrifice of Christ there. But when I went back, so I was there in 94 and I went back, I think this was in 2008 that I went back. Uh, I went back a couple of other times, like doing papers and things like that at conferences and Haifa and other places. But um, I went back, we were going to go um, teach at the Jerusalem Center in 2010. And they usually take the teachers there a year or two ahead of time. So they can kind of get you know for those especially for those who haven't ever been get used to what it's like and also we're there to look okay when we come with our families it's going to be this way and that way and so on uh and, and like i said i've been there a few times but they took us there to the church of all nations which i had not gone to since then even when i was back in the holy land because i didn't like it um but fortunately somewhere in there as i was uh, now like 40 or something like that uh i i had matured a little bit more and um I I went in there wanting to appreciate it. And as I was in there, I suddenly started to recognize these things that they were doing to make it dark. They were trying to recreate what Christ was feeling, the, the dark and oppressive feeling that he felt, right? They and and so they've got the, these iron things that are thorns and and so on. And that's all to help us understand everything in there is intentionally designed to help you think about the oppression that Christ felt in Gethsemane. And so I let it, it do that for me. And I, I knelt down and I actually, like a lot of good Catholics do, I, I, I touched that rock, which I don't think is necessarily, it's probably not the rock he was on, but, but uh, you know, it's somewhere in the general area. Um, and uh, I, I, I touched that while I prayed and I've had a lot of experiences where I felt the atoning power of Christ uh, where it's been confirmed to me that his atoning sacrifice was real, but I have never, ever had anything close to the powerful experience I had there as I realized the magnitude of what he suffered for us, how hard it was for him, and how grateful I am for it, and and the real power that came from it, and that, that atoning power, how real and amazing it is because of how hard it was and what he suffered more real than anything ever. And even now, as I think about it, I, I, I can't recreate that feeling in my head or my mind. I, 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 I'm glad I wrote it down. Uh, I know I felt it. I can't feel it again now. Uh, I mean, I can feel the test. I've, lots of times I feel sense that I feel the spirit bearing witness that the, the atoning sacrifice is real, but that power I mean, that's a once in a lifetime. Well, I mean, I hope maybe I'll have something more powerful another day, but, but it's like a once in a lifetime experience. Right. And, and I'm just grateful that I can remember that I felt that because as things get tough and, you know, and you were talking about hey, these guys in the next 25 years are going to have some tough things. So we've had a, a tough year uh, to see your children have, you know, health problems and all sorts of other things. And that's, uh, you have some real, real sorrow sometimes. 
And feelings like that have got me through because I know uh, when I see the, uh, pain that I can't do anything about, right? And that's the worst thing when you're a parent and you want to take away this pain and you can't. Um, and uh, whether it be your children who can't have children or your children who are fighting depression and anxiety or your children who've had someone else do something terrible to them or are going through physical pain or whatever, and you want to take that pain away and you can't. Uh, I have had again and again come to me, you know that Christ really did and he really can and i don't know when and i don't know how but i know it will uh and that's because of a number of experiences but most powerfully that experience that i didn't allow myself to feel the first time i was there but fortunately god is patient with us and he gives us other chances and uh uh, I'm grateful to know of the reality of that gift. I mean, what a gift when God sent his son and then when he allowed him. And as a parent, I can't imagine the allowing him to go through that, but he allowed him to do that. What an incredible gift from our father. Uh, just, I, I'm overwhelmed. So, And I had not thought of that for a little while, and it, it's a time I could really use it. And I appreciate your story for helping me remember that. And I hope it it helps others remember when the spirit is born witness to them. Even if they're not feeling it right now, they can remember times when the spirit has born witness to them. You know, that's beautiful. Your whole story. I, a couple of things that came to my mind, like in particular, when you talk about Christ and how his father actually let that happen. Yeah. And I was considering this the other day, like I was, you know, getting ready for the day and I thought about Abraham and having to go and thinking he would need to sacrifice his son. And it made me wonder, you know, I don't know how much our savior knew, but when he asked that maybe the cup could be taken from him, yeah. you know, that I think, but did he think, well, Abraham didn't actually have to go through with it. And maybe, you know, maybe this is one of those situations. Like maybe this doesn't have to actually happen. And I don't know, he, he ultimately knew that it did have to happen, but I would think he grew up knowing that story very well and seeing that in God's grace, it didn't actually have to go through, but here he was, and he did actually have to go through it. Yeah, um, That came to my mind. And I also, I relate so much to what you're saying with, you know, the, the health problems and the things that we face in our kids that just, it, it's just a makes us sick to consider what our kids have to go through. And I had an experience, well, I didn't have it as much as my son did, but during the pandemic, when we were locked down, my son took this old scooter, like a moped, mm -hmm. like literally drove it out of the driveway and got hit by a truck in front mm -hmm. of our house. Oh man. Oh, it was terrible. And you know, he, the guy was going the speed limit. Um, it was like a big Ford pickup truck. Yeah. Um, but it did throw my son from the scooter and he broke his leg like clean through. I mean, I walked out to a scene where my husband was holding my 16 year old son in his arms and my son was gray and yellow and I thought he might be dead. It was mm -hmm. terrible. And he got a pretty bad concussion and he had to go through surgery, but he was in so much pain, particularly from the concussion in the, you know, the weeks after that, that right. I remember feeling that like what you described like oh, how can I take this away he is so miserable and I you know he's caught up in his life and whatever not like super churchy or anything at this time and yet the thing that 
could soothe him in the night when he felt so it was almost like evil on him, like the pain and the yeah. way that it played with his mind was, I would just sing like church hymns. And it was funny because I didn't always remember the other verses and, yeah. but it, it would help him. It's like, can you sing this song? Can you sing that song? And then finally it was like so late that, and I was messing up the words, but he's like, it's okay. I'll just have Alexa sing the songs <laughs> for me. <laughs> That's but to funny. Have not only know that the only way that I could have any hope of making him feel better was the savior was mm -hmm. God. And for him to cling to that was so tender to me, like, okay, all of the times we go to church, even on vacation, you know, all of the lessons we've taught in this crucial moment when he's suffering, it's those things that bring peace that we don't see all the time when life is hunky-dory, but when we're desperate, we certainly recognize, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and actually your discussion reminded me of another thing that kind of might cast light on, on, on some of what uh, is happening in, in Gethsemane uh, because I started thinking about uh, a daughter of mine who's had uh, a lot of tough challenges lately and, and, uh, Sometimes to try and help with that, we have to go through some pretty painful things. And sometimes she's trying to, to deal with it in ways that aren't helpful. And she wants to be allowed to do things that aren't helpful. Right. And in both cases, there have been plenty of times where I'm sitting there, sometimes holding her. Sometimes she doesn't want me to hold her, but I'm with her. And she just keeps asking, please, daddy, to either not do this or let her do this. And she just keeps asking, please, daddy, please. And so many times I've been close to caving because when your little girl's just begging please 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 it just kills you and you're just ready to do it and i kind of have to remember actually this is not good for her or this is good for her. this is what she needs to do or doing this is not good for her. she can't and and uh in the moment i'm so caught up in it i haven't had that thought but as you were talking about it i, I started to think i i can't imagine being god when christ is asking please daddy if there's another way please i don't want to do this and I can't imagine being God saying, I know this is hard, right? Because it's harder than anything anyone else has ever done or will do. Uh, and yet God sat there taking those pleas from his son and uh, and asked him still to do it. And not for his son, but for the rest of us. And I think that's a, that's a key commitment, right? It's one thing for me to, to, to not give in to my daughter for her own sake. But what if she was pleading, please don't make me do this and it's for someone else i don't i don't think i could stand strong i really don't think i could uh and so i'm so grateful for both the father and the son in the way that they they made it through those things for us uh, so sure. grateful another point you made that i think is significant in all of our lives um, when we do receive answers like your profound answer in the church of all nations or the basilica of the agony as they yeah. Yeah, it's it. a real name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but none of, I don't call it that. I do call it the Church of All Nations. But yeah. um, And a feeling that I had in Gethsemane, something that comes to my mind and you reinforce that was, you know, I say I had this jolt. That's what I maybe wrote down. That's what I remember it. At. I don't even remember the feeling. And yeah. just as you don't, you say you can't exactly remember the feeling you had but you know, something very profound happened. Those yeah. spiritual insights and those spiritual feelings. I mean, it's no wonder why it was probably very 
confusing for Joseph Smith to try to write down the first vision. Mm. Because in that moment, you have this feeling that's so, it's so hard to describe and then so hard to remember. Yeah. So like I have just journal keeping has been such an important thing for me throughout my life. And I urge people to write down those experiences, write down all your experiences, but particularly these, because your mind will pay, play tricks on you and Satan will try to help you forget. So even though you'll never, you, well, like you say, never, you, you won't get the same feeling again, most likely. But if you write down that it was real and that you know it happened, and this is as close as I can get to describing it, it's really hard to deny that when when times get hard. Amen, amen. I I agree. Okay, so I'll I'll tell you another story that has to do with my my kids. Um, when we first went there to, to teach. And so I had a child that was uh, 13 and a child that was three, six kids between 13 and three. And uh, we went down uh, like maybe the second or third day we were in the country. We went down to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And, and you know, as you go in, one of the first things you see is what's called the Stone of the Unction. Uh, it's And it's they've even had to replace it because people have been on it so much that, that they've had to put a new one in there. But it tr it's traditionally the stone where they laid Christ's body as they prepared it for burial and, and anointed him and so on. Um, I have and, to say that's so funny that they replaced the actual stone where Jesus was laid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just because so many people have touched and done things, it's just worn it away over time, right? So that's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's actually. clearly not the same stone, even if it had been the original stone, and yet it doesn't really matter, right? Because that it's a dedicated stone that they put there, so they don't care, and and I'm not blaming them for that. Uh, and and people do things there that are foreign to us as as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, just because we have our own cultural style of worshiping. But people come in and they and they kneel down and they touch it or they lay on it and 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 they'll weep on there and they'll just spend a lot of time on there. And they're usually taking candles and, and touching them to it because the candles can become holy by being next to this holy thing that was next to Christ and so on. And uh, and all of that sounds weird and silly to uh, us. And I, I think it's actually kind of sad that it does. But um but I, I felt a little bit the same way. So we had our kids with us and they were, uh, we were kind of standing off to the side watching everyone do this for quite a while. And then for some reason, and this happens very rarely, but for some reason it cleared out and no one was there. And our kids asked us, can we kneel down and pray there? And I, we were like, yeah, great idea. Kneel down and pray, right? And so they knelt down and prayed and then they started modeling what they'd seen right they're they're uh, touching it and kind of putting their heads on it and, and touching it and so on and, and both my wife and I uh, and we didn't know we were both going through the same thing until later but we were both a little uncomfortable like oh I'm not so sure that's I, I like that I'm not so sure that's a great idea and I was about to go not knowing that my wife was also about to step out and say okay that that's enough let's let's go to the next thing when the spirit said very very strongly to me you leave them alone I'm bearing witness to them of my son right now and uh, we both had that experience at the exact same time. And you think, what more could I ever want than that? And uh, how stupid I was to think that because they weren't doing it the way I'm used to, that, that God couldn't work in that way to, to bear spirit to them. And how stupid I was to think that all those other people weren't having God bear witness to them and weren't being touched by the spirit. He works in all sorts of ways, in whatever ways we're ready for and expecting. 
and uh, and we should just be open to God bearing witness to us. But uh, again, and I don't know, again, I, I don't think it's the actual stone and it's not probably the actual spot. It may have been close by there. I don't know. But uh, but that was irrelevant. It helped my children pray to God and focus on him. And he was more than anxious to send his spirit to teach them when they were ready to be taught. And to me, that's that's powerful. And again, and the spirit bore witness to me as well. This is real. My son did die for you. And uh, and it wasn't bearing witness of the place. I, I felt the spirit very strongly in the garden tomb. And I felt the spirit very strongly in the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And that confused me. And then I suddenly realized oh, the spirit was never bearing witness of the place. It was bearing witness of the event. And and so I know that event is true, even though I'd like to figure out where it is. This kind of back to our discussion on understanding and like to understand more. But I don't understand that part, but uh, but I understand the part I need to understand. And it's real. Yeah. And everybody needs to recognize that it's OK if it's not a completely, you know, conventional way that we. Yeah receive like a message from our father in heaven it can be anything and i think the more that we open ourselves to other types of worship and it's the sincerity is all that god yes it's just about our love and our sincerity and our devotion it's not about how we do it or if there's incense there or not or whether um sacrament meeting is perfectly quiet with no children talking It's, (laughs) it's nothing like that it's 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 our heart that's he's yeah. just waiting for our heart to be open. I agree. I very much agree. I mean, and, and we're not saying that there's no need for covenants and ordinances and church membership and things like that. Of course there is, but but in terms of worship, it, it comes down to as you say, our intentions, our heart, our sincerity. I, I so agree. Yeah. Well, April, this is I've I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this and how uh, uplifting it's been for me. And uh I'm I'm so grateful for it. And I'm sure it's been uplifting for so many others. And uh, I, I hope that uh, not only is it uplifting for them, but they may think of someone who could use it. And and uh, we, we share the, the peace that comes as the spirit bears witness about the reality of, of uh, the scriptures and what they teach us about Christ and our Father. So thank you for sharing that with us. And, and thank you to our audience for listening. And uh, we, we hope uh, that lots of good things come from this. Thank you. Yeah. And I do hope that people won't give up too soon to receive answers to those hard questions. Amen. Thank you.